weather. It is on the minds of many folks in the state of Wisconsin from dawn until dusk, especially if it gives you anxiety. Not enough rain, for example, cooler than expected temperatures, or heaven knows, severe weather on the horizon. Well, the state of Wisconsin, specifically the College of Ag and Life Sciences, is taking a look at trying to arm you with a little bit more real-time information when it comes to weather. In studio with me now is Chris Kasharik. He is the professor and agronomy department chair. He's also the fellow that has taken on an interesting project trying to create a little bit more reliable ag weather network for the state. Chris, let's talk about the history of this effort. I mean, we were reminiscing about previous iterations of ag weather forecasting and ag weather documentation we've had in Wisconsin, going back to when grave diggers were sending in information about frost depths. Well, technology has advanced quite a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what has existed for ag weather forecasting and what uh, where we stand today. Yeah, thanks, Pam. Um, yeah, so going back, we can go back decades to other states around the country. Um, the idea of automated weather networks has been around for probably 30 or 40 years now. Um, and even Wisconsin had an automated network back in the, the mid-90s. Bill Bland, a professor in soil science, had a, a network of a, a dozen or so stations around the state um, collecting, you know, near real time, you know, information, temperature, soil moisture, wind, solar radiation, sunlight, things like that. Um, at that time, it was dialing up, dial up with modems and, you know, the whole the sound in the background that everybody remembers. Um, and it wasn't as easy as it is today. Um, today, with, with satellites and sort of clouds and where information can be stored, the technology's really advanced to the point that it's much easier for states to develop these types of networks um, if you can find you know, the funding and, and the resources to do so. Um, and we, we looked at a couple of our states uh, in the U.S. Oklahoma has a really great um, mesonet that was started back in the early 90s uh, to help with extreme weather and severe weather tornadoes and help with warnings and uh, to alert people on that. Uh, New York's another example. Uh, the network there was uh, born uh, after Hurricane Sandy had gone through. And, um, but uh, there's a lot of that information that um, we feel is, is missing in the state. And Wisconsin has sort of been a, a gap, you know, in sort of you look across the country in terms of information to be provided or could be provided to farmers. Yeah. Yeah, well, like we said, it is all about farmers, but everybody in Wisconsin pays attention to weather. We have to. And even, uh, I mentioned to Chris, our Towns and Counties Association, those people that have to be prepared with emergency response could use this. What As we sit here today, Chris, before we bring them the next piece of news, as we sit here today, what does Wisconsin have? Yeah. So right now, you know, the whole idea of, you know, what's a, what's a mesonet, and maybe I could define that, you know, really quickly, and how that's different than the other observations people might see or hear on TV or radio or on the internet. It's just a, it's a density of stations that's a bit, you know, more clustered. You know, we're talking about tens of miles apart, and then that information is typically available on the order of minutes, almost, you know, near real time, and we're pushing towards five-minute uh, type of updates. Um, so right now, the state has 14 stations. There's a cluster up in the Door County area that's been helping with the cherry apple, you know, sort of industry there. Um, we have stations at uh, Hancock and Arlington, which are remnants of the going back to the late 80s when that original network was started by Bill Bland. 
Um, and then four of our other ag research stations around the state affiliated with the UW, uh, that's uh, Lancaster, Marshfield, uh, Rhinelander, and Spooner um, also have a station. So those right now, though, are available through a website through Michigan State, um, who's uh, a partner in all this. They have, an, uh, they have their own mesonet of like 80 to 90 stations. And um, when I approached them a few years ago, I said, hey, we had this retirement of someone who was sort of, you know, overseeing, you know, this network. We only have a few stations. Would you mind maybe incorporating those, you know, at a small cost, you know, to your network? And that's kind of where things sit here. So we're trying to migrate that over entirely to Badger Red and, you know, get rid of the Spartans and all that. No offense. They've been great collaborators. But, um, you know, we're building it. We want to build our own network and then build that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's uh, the goal, like you said, he is... Uh more, more uh, suitable sites, uh, more uh, documenting erratic weather. I mean, I, I've got to believe that some of the weather events you've seen in Wisconsin, Chris, have continued to prod you to try to keep moving this project forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a great density of uh, daily observers that provide uh, high and low temperatures and precip. That's part of NOAA's co-op observer network. And then there's the Coco Ras network of uh, precipitation observations. But that's different than what we're talking about here. You were talking about preparedness and emergency management and even connecting to the National Weather Service, who has to issue the severe weather warnings and that. Like, we just don't have enough density of real-time stations where, um, you know, every five or ten minutes we're able to see, oh, there's that cluster of severe storms over La Crosse area, um, how much rainfall is it dumping? You know, the radar saying this, what's that on the ground, ground true thing, you know, observation in real time. And that, that's really what we're lacking. So yeah, like the benefits, not only to ag, but also to emergency preparedness, the weather service, and we've already spoken to them and, and their needs and how they're going to be a partner on all this also. So tell me how difficult this has been to get this close. I mean, the announcement is that there are more of those stations coming, uh, but it's, it is almost a labor of love when it comes to the, you know, getting this technology up. Right. Yeah. This is something that um, would be very difficult to write our, go our traditional routes of like fundraising, like federal grants, you know, through agencies, even, you know, within the state itself. So, I've been sort of pounding my fist, you know, for probably about a decade now. And um, some people at the university have listened to that and, and taken notice. Um, the first amount of funding, which was a million dollars, came in through the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation, which um, they heard about it through our vice chancellor for research and graduate education, Steve Ackerman, um, who I've been going to. He's a longtime professor in atmospheric sciences. Um, he understood the need and sort of the rationale and like, we really need to do this. And um, it was fortunate. He mentioned this as one of the ideas that, that Worf came to him and said, hey, you got any outside the box things that, you know, you guys have been thinking about? And he said, yeah, we, we've been thinking about this, this mesonet, you know, idea. And so Worf is providing that initial seed funding for the infrastructure, the instrumentation to stand this thing up and build this thing up to around 90 stations over the next four years or so. Um, that's great, but need people and need to pay them to do this. So um, it was just out of you know timing and a little bit of luck that uh, Senator Baldwin's office was helping with um, some funding through the USDA. 
And um, there's a, a grant that uh, the university is a part of. It's called the Rural Partners uh, Partnership, Rural Partners Institute. It's supposed to help, you know, life and society and in a sort of way of life for rural, you know, challenges that rural um, Wisconsin is, is facing. And um, I was able to, to put money and funding in there uh, to support Mesonet, you know, for this first four years. That's paying the people that are helping me basically stand this thing up, you know, and where are we going to put the stations? What's the equipment looking like? Getting them actually out there on the landscape, making the connections with folks um, to know basically, well, where are we putting them? I mean, that's a, that's another challenge in itself. Yeah. So tell me about this technology. What can it do? How expensive is it? I mean, you know, uh, far cry from, from some of the weather stations that the audience is probably most familiar with that kind of sit on your desk or hang on a wall. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different. They me- measure kind of the same things, but the, the price differential is quite significant, you know, I mean, and, and this is, it's great. If you've got a weather station out there at home and you're listening and, um, you've only paid a few hundred dollars for it. That's great because that technology is also advanced and it's making, you know, the the general measurements we were talking about, temperature and precip and probably some wind speed and maybe barometric pressure and then something to do with humidity or dew point, you know, in terms of the moisture. Um, these stations we're putting out are more, I would say, research grade and their cost is roughly about $10,000 per station. So, it is quite costly, but what that gets you is state-of-the-art, reliable, um, world meteorological organization grade like quality, and that's you know the Weather Service desires that, um, the National Mesonet Program desires that. Through being a part of that program, eventually we'll actually be able to be paid for collecting that data by the federal government. So that's just. Um, part of the you know nature of the beast i guess if you you know you, we want that long term long you know really high quality data that people can rely on and um and that information at those stations um gets beamed up through satellite to a cloud and then through the website that that we're developing we're we're pulling that data down distilling it and making it available to anyone you know through that website if you're just joining us, this is Chris Kosharik. He is the professor in the agronomy department. He also is currently holding the chair, and he is telling us about a new mesonet that Wisconsin is going to be uh, expanding with uh, additional 90 automated weather stations that they want to populate across the state of Wisconsin. We talked earlier about what exists, Chris. So what is your uh, rationale? What is the, the plan for those potential 90 newer stations and their clusters, or what are you thinking? Yeah, so you know, I might think of being as being really smart and having this grand idea, but honestly, the starting point is we've got fourteen. We want at least one in each county. I mean, that would be great, you know, to have equal representation and sort of equal spacing, um, you know, and that that gets us close to that that ninety number, but. We also want to be thinking about some of the regions of the state that are important to to agriculture. I mean, almost you know, a large part of the state is, but the Central Sands region is one example. Potato and vegetable growers probably have a higher density of stations there to help them out. Our cranberry growing regions, uh, we've already been talking to those folks about you know increasing the number of stations there. Um, when it comes to other strange, not strange things, but like climates and, you know, like along the lake and lake effect and maybe putting a few more stations in a higher density along the shore of Lake Michigan on the eastern part of the state. Um, but that, 
as a, you know, sort of gets people an idea of roughly what that layout might look like. Now, where they go in each county is up for debate a little bit. There's a, a science reason for equal spacing in that. But then it depends on, well, where might there be public land? Um, we're also, you know, reaching out to tribal nations and trying to, for those that are doing, have farms and agriculture, we want them to be a part of it too. Um, where might the DNR, you know, more, there might be public land that we can site these stations on. Or maybe it's uh, a private landowner farmer that wants to enter into something long-term, you know, with us and, and have a station sited right on the farm. So we're all working through that right now, but we have that that number and that goal in mind. And, and by the time uh, we're talking about this in four years again, hopefully we'll be there. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that was my yeah. next question is how long is this little undertaking expected yeah. to last and uh, when and how can we keep track of sure. what's happening? Yeah. So building it slow and methodically is sort of the plan right now. I think there's a happy medium probably like It'd be great if we had 200 stations, but the cost skyrockets, obviously, and being able to take care of those obviously increases um, in terms of the amount of time. So, you know, we're probably going to be putting out about 20 to 25 stations each year over the next three years. And as that goes, we'll we'll start to fill in those gaps that we have. And, you know, while we're learning from that process, we'll also learn whether or not are there areas that, you know, maybe we're missing, folks we've not thought about. Um, and then when it gets to be the end of that four years, it, it becomes a, a decision on, well, do we have enough? Um, how much is it costing, you know, to maintain this each year? Is that sustainable? Um, but I think, you know, looking at other states and sort of where they're at, I think around that 80 to 90 number is about where I feel comfortable and where we where we need to be. You're going to yeah. start in 2023? Or? We're starting, yep, starting this year. Um, we just um, put the order in for 25. We'll do that at a time, and we'll probably get about 10 out this year, and we already have an idea of where some of those will go, and then we'll We'll start, you know, next year and uh, try to hit the goal next year of adding another 20 to 25. All right. So mm-hmm. good news for a lot of Wisconsin agriculture. And like we said, it's not just about agriculture. It's about all of us. It's also about those town and county officials responsible for trying to keep us safe when erratic weather comes to the state of Wisconsin. Chris Kosharik's in studio with us. He is a professor of, in, agro- in the agronomy department and also the chair of the agronomy department who has undertaken this mesonet to try to build that infrastructure of ag weather response systems across the state of Wisconsin. Like you said, starting this year, it's a story that we'll be following. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Farm Director Pam Yankee.